0: In 1951, McGill University was conducting a sensory deprivation experiment. And so they hired graduate students for 20 bucks a day to stay in a small room, lay on a bed, wear frosted goggles that limited their sense of sight, wear headphones that played white noise. To limit their sense of hearing and had their hands and arms wrapped to limit their sense of feeling. The only time they were allowed to get up was to go to the restroom. This was supposed to last for six weeks, seeing what the effects would be on these individuals. Unsurprisingly, no one lasted more than seven days. Most of the men said that they reported that they could not have any train of thought that was coherent for any length of time while this was happening. And some even said that they had hallucinations during which one man saying, I could see nothing but dogs. And another guy saying, I could see nothing but eyeglasses. These individuals willingly cut themselves off from the outside world from their social communities, from their friends, from their family, for a time. And they literally started to go crazy. Could it be possible that some of us do this with our spiritual lives? I want to travel with you to the book of Ephesians, to Ephesus, by Paul. Ephesus is not a place that is unfamiliar to Paul. If you remember from Acts chapter 19, in fact, Paul was doing so good in Ephesus, converting so many people to Christianity that the local idol makers thought that they were going to go out of business because so many people were worshiping God, so they started a riot. If you want to learn more about that, go to Acts chapter 19. But now Paul is in prison, and he's writing to these Ephesian Christians these Gentile Christians, as opposed to Jewish Christians, people who had grown up in the faith, Jesus was a Jew, right? And so these Gentile Christians, these Ephesian Christians, were these people who didn't have any Jewish background. Paul was the one who was commissioned by God to go and preach the gospel to these individuals. And he's writing this letter about unity. Unity. And if we were going to look at the core verse of Ephesians, I think it would be chapter 2, verse 19. So if you'll turn there, it's also going to be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You are no longer foreigners and strangers. And so I started to think, what was going on in the Ephesian mind when they heard the word strangers and foreigners? Because I think that the Ephesians knew a lot about strangers. Ephesus was a port city. So there's a map on the screen that should come up near the coast, right? And so This was one of the best trade places at that time. Their living was literally dealing with strangers. Strangers there, strangers here. And on top of that, they were home to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. Today, nothing stands but one pillar, but in its time, it was bigger than the Parthenon and drew people from far and wide to see this achievement and architecture. Strangers here, strangers there. And when I started to think about it, I know a lot about strangers too. So I grew up in this small town of 1,100 people. So just to give you some perspective, Jonesboro, 1,600 people. Okay, I graduated with 45 people in my high school class. But despite its size, we know a lot about strangers. Because we have three lakes, Palmer, Sturgeon, and Long Lake, and all these people from Chicago decided to buy up our lakefront property for their vacation homes. And if that's not enough, we're also in the magic capital of the world. So two weeks out of the year, all of these illusionists and magicians come into our town and start pulling scarves out of their pockets and litter our streets with playing cards. Strangers here, strangers there. And you can tell when they start to roll into town. Because they talk differently, and they walk differently, and they do things differently. They're not one of us. And so even though they bring stuff to our town, they bring good business to our town, they're not one of us. They don't know what it's like to live in my town all year round. I don't care how hard they try. They just come for a short amount of time, and then they're gone in their lives. They don't care about how we live in our tiny little town They don't care. They're not one of us. And so when the Ephesians hear the word strangers, I think this is what comes to their mind. But the interesting thing is that now, instead of the Ephesians dealing with strangers, they are the strangers. Because the Jewish Christians are on the home turf, right? And so when they hear that they're the strangers now, I think there's a little bit of hesitancy in their minds. Paul, I know you're saying we're no longer strangers anymore. Easy for you to say, Pharisee boy, Jew with Jews. We don't have this. I don't care how much you say they're gonna deal with us, they're gonna look at us and say, You're not one of us. Our daddy's daddies weren't rabbis. We don't know all the OSHA guidelines in the synagogue. We don't know the Wesleyan discipline. We don't know this stuff. We have no Jewish heritage. We don't know any of this. And so I think there was this wall. We can't get past. You know, maybe they thought, well, maybe we can just make our own denomination, Jewish Christian, Ephesian Christian. <laughs> we just go on of their lives. But there's something that's at stake if they don't unify what Paul is calling it to. And we have to go to Ephesians chapter 4 to find out what it is. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and then skipping the verses 15 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and then skipping to verses 15 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Skipping to verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We need to draw our attention to the final verse there. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What Paul is saying here is that unity correlates with our maturity. Because the Ephesian Christians and the Jewish Christians could both be in their own camps, and they could grow, they could mature, but it's not to the extent that would be possible if they were unified. They won't be everything that God wants them to be unless they unify with the Jewish Christians, unless they break through the wall of this strangerhood, this foreignerhood. The Ephesian Christians needed to know about unity. But I want to ask you, in Marion, Indiana, at Lakeview Wesleyan Church, do we know about unity? Because I could go through the congregation right now and I could ask you for $500, what is the importance of unity? Unity. And I'm sure you could give me this great answer that would pass on a theology exam over at Indiana Wesleyan. But I would argue that our culture has us predisposed to not understand the unity that Paul talks about. Because when kids grow up, we ask them, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? We get to decide who we want to marry personally. We get to decide what we want to eat at a restaurant. The individual choice is the most valuable choice in our culture. Family businesses are more likely to die because we put so much weight in the individual calling of somebody. This is not the culture that Paul is living in. We make decisions that are best for the community, for the family. The reason that it was so countercultural for the disciples To leave father and mother was because it was not the best decision for their family. Because by going away, they weren't going to be able to support them anymore. On the flip side, though, now they're entering this new family, the church. But they already understood the value of making decisions that were the best for the community and not for themselves. They already understood that. And so I think this individualistic mindset leaks over into our spiritual lives. Because if I were to ask you, what does a Christian do to grow? You would say things like scripture reading, prayer, fasting, giving, worshiping. But I think there's this secret word that's hidden in front of there. My worship, my prayer life, my scripture reading. Which is true, right? But two, you go to pastors, guilty, And you ask, well, I'm feeling pretty dry lately. What should I do? And we say, oh, well, you need to read Scripture more. You need to pray more. You need to do this more. By yourself. You, you, you. And these are good things. But when we focus on them alone, we're really saying that my relationship with Jesus is all that matters. It's just about me and him. He came just to save me. And that is true. He came to save you, but only in the us. He came to save us, and you're within that. He came to sanctify us, and you're within that. Right? And yet we're distracted. And we focus so much on these personal disciplines, which we need to do. But we forget about the value of doing things together spiritually in community. Whenever I think about this, I go back to the garden. And God creates Adam, and he's the only person there. It's just him and God. There's no one to distract him. He has unlimited access to God. And then God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Why? He had God. Because you see, when the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image They imparted a need into humanity for other persons like them. And so when God made Eve, He wasn't just making some marriage partner for Adam, He was filling a need that He had already put within Him. He was helping them reach a potential that He had made within them, but was not possible without another person like Him. We need each other. Think back in your spiritual life how many of your turning points, growing points, have been influenced by other believers who are obedient to God, that wanted to see you grow. Of course, we've all had those personal devotional moments. But think of how many people have influenced you in community. How you wouldn't be the person today that you are without them. And so what is the answer? How do we gain the value of this unity? How do we learn to grow together in community to reach the absolute potential that God wants us to have in our spiritual lives? How do we do it? Let's go back to the book of Ephesians. Three things. Not because I wanted to do a three-point sermon. It just happens to be how many points I found. (laughs) But three things. Number one, action is greater than mindset. Action is greater than mindset. Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Bear with one another in love. These are not things that you can just think about doing. These are not things that you can just say, I know how to do them. You have to physically put yourself in the situations where you can be humble with people, where you can be gentle with people, where you can bear with one another in love. And so I imagine when the Ephesian Christians are reading this, they're thinking, huh, I guess that means I should try to read Scripture with these Jewish Christians. Try to pray with these Jewish Christians. Try to be with these Jewish Christians. Try to draw closer to these Jewish Christians, even if I don't feel like it. Action over mindset. Number two, Paul called them to realize their similarities. There's something powerful about similarities that draw us together, right? Right? Paul says there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. When I was a wrestler in high school, not WWE, just high school wrestling, I was at an individual tournament, so if you if you don't know anything about wrestling, an individual tournament usually is on a Saturday, and uh, you just look at your brackets for the day, but you're waiting until your name gets called over the intercom that you're on deck, sort of like a batter lineup, right? And so I'm waiting, I'm warming up, bouncing around, and all of a sudden, I hear my name get called twice in two different weight classes. And so I'm like, what's going on? Am I going to have to go wrestle these two different matches? I don't want to wrestle up a weight class. If anything, I wish it was a weight class below. But it's not the case. And it turned out that there was another Jared Webb at the tournament. He just had an extra R in his name. So it sounded the same over the intercom. And I remember meeting him. We're still Facebook friends to this day. And we just hit it off. It's like, hey, man. It's like we were friends from grade school because we were so focused on the fact that we had the same name our similarities right so maybe for you it's been you're sitting in an airport and you found out that someone else is from a similar area that you are maybe you're at a football game and you're cheering for the away team and you find someone else who's cheering for the away team maybe you find someone with the same weird hobby as you you know making toenail sculptures I don't know (laughs) whatever it is but there's something about focusing on our similarities that draws us together more than when we focus on our differences. And Paul is saying, look guys, it doesn't matter your heritage. I don't care how long you've been in the faith, if your family followed after God or not. The same God cares about both of you. The same God has made a way for the both of you. And you both have the same one carrying your burdens. So focus on that and don't focus on your differences. We're in the same faith so realize the similarities third realize our need for one another and so i'm reiterating something that was said earlier but paul says from the whole from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work as each part does its work the Gentile Christians cannot hope to become everything that they want to be without the Jewish Christians and vice versa. They have giftings and knowledge that would improve the other party. We can never hope to be all that we can be unless we are most fully unified. And so what does that mean for us? How does that translate for us? Let's go through these again. Action over mindset. In your spiritual life in the past couple of years... How much have you focused on being in community and seeking after the Lord together? So, forget about the personal disciplines at this point because I'm trying to show how the community disciplines matter. Worshiping, Bible study, being in a small group, praying with other believers. What's the blind spot? What's the spot where you the Lord is prompting you to grow you more in community? that you haven't tried. Number two, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, are similarities. If this sounds cliche, that we need to focus on this, then maybe we haven't fully understood the weight of it. Because at the core of it, the same God that cares about my burdens, cares about your burdens. The same God who has raised me from the grave has raised you from the grave. And so if you can't focus on that and you focus on their differences within this church, of course we're going to get distracted. And even more than that, we go to the same church. We both love Lakeview, right? Focus on our similarities and we'll be able to get past the differences. Number three, realize our need for others. And this was probably the biggest gut check of them all. Because I thought about the obvious part, because it's like, okay, well, if I don't go to do some communal practices like Bible study or praying with other believers, not just for other believers, then I'm the one missing out. I'm not growing, right? Whoop-de-doo. But have you ever thought about the fact that God has gifted you in a particular way? God has given you particular traits. And don't say you don't, because he has that would be able to bless someone else, that God would be able to work through to grow someone else, but you not being there is not allowing them to reach that fullest potential. So not only are you missing out when you don't go to be in community, but you're also making the body miss out because God has gifted you in a way that he wants to work through. And so, if there was a core message to this whole sermon, it would be this sentence. God creates the best you through the best us. God creates the best you through the best us. God creates the best you through the best us. And so maybe you walked in today thinking that you were going to hear a New Year's Day sermon, right? Right? the classical one, how are you going to change your life this year, all this stuff, you'd be right and wrong and so maybe some people didn't come because of that and they're missing out, right? But I want you to think about this year from this text. What is one way that God is asking you to become the best you through the best us? What is one form of community that you have not been engaged in? Is it a church prayer meeting? Is it a Sunday school class? Is it a Bible study? Is it a small group? Right? We're starting new small groups this coming year, the second week of January. Hopefully you notice that in your bulletin. You can pull those out right now. There's five new small groups on there. Because we truly believe that we grow best when we're in community. And so if you're not in one, I want to challenge you today to explore with the Spirit. If you can try one, just one time, They're only going to run for 12 weeks. So it's not a commitment forever. But just try one, one time. Because God creates the best you through the best us. The people in that study willingly cut themselves off from the outside world. And they started to go crazy because they weren't in community the way that they had been made to be, right? God creates the best you through the best us. And so we're going to go into a time of prayer now, and I want to challenge you to just think about what's one way this year that I can try one time, particularly a small group, because we have those available if you're not in one, that I can try to grow and become the best me through becoming the best us. And so we're going to go into a time of prayer. There's going to be a time of silence for to allow the Spirit to speak and that, so that we can listen. I want you to draw, write it down on the back of that. And two, we're going to have our leaders of those small groups available at those five black tables at the back. I encourage you if the Spirit pushes on your heart to go and sign up that you're interested. And so let's all stand for the prayer. Lord, we thank you for the community that you surround us with in our lives. We thank you for all the people you've placed in our lives with different gifts, with different talents who have been used by you to form us into people we wouldn't be without them. We ask in this coming year that you would show us how we can be more unified. We ask in this moment that you would speak to us how specifically each one of us can do better And try one thing, to become more unified in the body of Christ at Lakeview Wesleyan Church. Pray that you would work through these ways that you've touched our hearts with, that would be challenged, that would be pushed, and that we would be more fully formed into the likeness of your Son. In your holy and precious name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the eternal community, we pray. Amen. Leave this place knowing that He has made a way for the community to create the best you from the best us. You're sent out.